Mackenzie Gens, and you're listening to our podcast about the relevance of literature in the 21st century. Now bookmark that book, and let's begin. Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. Hello und herzlich willkommen zu unserem Podcast. Today we're talking about an amazing topic, books in 2020. Who wouldn't love that? We are going to talk about the books that I'm going to recommend for you as someone who reads really voraciously. I have read... 40 books this year. I'm pre-recording this a bit, so hopefully I will have time to read the last 12 books. I did read 10 books, I think, in August, so we'll see how this year goes. Maybe I won't make the book goal of a book a week. Maybe I will. Who knows? In any case, I get very close every year. I actually have done this book a week challenge for five years now. This is my fifth year in 2020, and I have read... 276 books in the last five years, including this year, my 40, my very uh, lonely 40. Um, My all-time goal that I have no idea if I'll ever have the time again to surpass it or even repeat it uh, was 72 books in one year. But enough about me, let's talk about books. So I have five categories of books that I'm going to talk about. A lot of these are books that I've read before, some of them are not. A lot of these are books that I made podcasts on, and the reason why that is is because every time there's a book that's really good or really interesting, I often want to bring you guys in on the story, and so I have linked all of the episodes um, that we have done on these books below in the description. There's a link in the little box down there. Um, I also have everything at relevanceofliterature.com slash notes for you. So if you need to reference anything, it is down there in that description slash at the link at relevanceofliterature.com slash notes. One more announcement before we get started, which is that all of the proceeds that we are making from Patreon between Thanksgiving of this year, which has already passed, of course, and December 31st, 2020, are going to the Mira Foundation. Uh, The Mira Foundation is a foundation which is wonderful. I've been supporting them for years. I am a huge fan of their work and the amazing changes that they make in people's lives, but the Mira Foundation is a foundation that gives guide dogs to the blind. They breed them and train them and help the blind individuals go through a whole training process and make sure that they're comfortable working with the dogs, etc. There's um, a lot of great work that they do and they give back to the blind community and help individuals gain mobility and freedom and independence that they wouldn't otherwise have. I find that really important. I personally had a blind friend in high school and she inspired me every day and I have been very passionate about giving back to the blind since then. So we are donating as a podcast all of the revenue we make, again from Thanksgiving through December 31st to the Mirror Foundation, which is linked below, and the episode that we did about the Mirror Foundation is also linked below. Let's get into the episode. So the first category, unsurprisingly, and there won't be a lot of surprises if you're a big fan of DHMI, just because 
I try not to be predictable, but a lot of my reading choices do become predictable just because you don't want to torture yourself with just reading Infinite Jest and Crime and Punishment and uh, Dickens books. You don't want to just read all these heavy hitting books unless that's truly what you enjoy and you can have the stamina of reading one after the other like that. I do read a lot of really heavy-hearted books, that kind of um, infinite jest where it takes you eight months of daily reading to get through, um, but I have to interplace it with funner books or books that, not necessarily funner, infinite jest is really fun, <laughs> but books that are just a little bit lighter, maybe not as serious, you know, YA, new releases, stuff like that just because it gives you the momentum and the motivation that you need, right? If you just were reading Infinite Jest and then Anna Karenina and then Crime and Punishment uh, all in a row, it would take you forever. And then you wouldn't have any books finished at that point. Uh, maybe it would be like July or August and you wouldn't have any books finished even though you've been reading every day. So I think that sometimes reading a little bit of a quicker read or an easier read while you're reading these long books will help you get the motivation that you really need. Alright, get your tea ready y'all. We are going to start this list off with memoir. Again, unsurprisingly, I love memoir. It's just memoir is something where you can distill someone else's life experience and, and sort of adopt their worldview for a minute and that's why I find it so wonderful is you get a lot of wisdom and a lot of advice and a lot of a heartbreak without having to necessarily go through the experiences yourself. Now I also do a personal version of this list every year that's why I decided to make a podcast out of it because I thought well if my friends enjoy me reading like 60 or 70 books and then distilling it into a list of maybe 5 to 10 then maybe you all would too. And so this list is a bit heftier maybe than the one that I'll write for my friends, but it's definitely, uh, it definitely includes some of the same books and we're going to get into why these books are so cool. Um, the first book is called In Pieces by Sally Field. This is definitely my top three, <laughs> one of the top three books that I read this year. This is a book that has stayed with me since I read it. I read it early this year, probably February, March, and it's just heavy it's just beautiful and Sally Field is someone who I haven't had much experience with before reading the book um, I in retrospect know a lot of her work she's an actress she was in Gidget and The Flying Nun um, she was in Lincoln a lot of really amazing work especially her performance in Lincoln with Daniel Day-Lewis um, but she unpacks her relationship with her art and for me as an artist, that I really vied with that and I really understood a lot of her pain in certain areas of her life. She does, trigger warning, have a lot of abuse going on in her early life and she does um, end up having a lot of problems later in life because of that abuse. Um, but what's interesting to me about Sally Field is that she didn't really fall into like the systematic drug usage, for example, of a lot of child actor actors and actresses. She did stay a straighter and narrower course and she did do it because she wanted to constantly involve at her art. And that kind of mindset and that kind of lifelong artistry is something that I found very interesting and very appealing. 
Another reason why I really liked this book in particular and would recommend this at the head of our first category memoir is because it sort of appeals me to me in the same way as a Joan Didion book where it's a lot about the time and a lot about the 60s and early 70s and into the 80s when she was uh, acting in the main part of her career and what a wonderful time to live in for a little bit and what a wonderful time to reflect on and there's a lot of parallels between then and now and all of the uprisings and all of the pain that was going on with the Vietnam War for example so um, what a what a time to gain the lessons from and take to what we're experiencing now and so I think that's Again, one of the things that I really enjoyed about this book is that, like in a lot of Joan Didion's work, she distills an era so, so well, and she has this apt and this very personal uh, way of telling a story, and so I would really recommend, firstly, In Pieces by Sally Field. The second book in the memoir category that I would recommend is a book um, I've also read this book for the first time this year, Let's Just Say It Wasn't Pretty by Diane Keaton. Diane Keaton is one of my favorite actresses. I don't know why I read so many actress memoirs this year. It must have been um, a coincidence or something, or maybe it wasn't, I don't know. Um, but Let's Just Say It Wasn't Pretty is funny. It is so hilarious, and Diane Keaton has this amazing... Um, very feminist kind of voice where she tells it to you straight um, and you're laughing the whole time and um, it's again it's very poignant it's very uh, you really have to roll with Diane's punches in this book um, and she, I know that she has a new memoir that was published more recently um, but I thought this one appealed to me way more. I think her new one is more so about her relationship with her brother or something along those lines. Um, but I love just sort of stepping into Keaton's experience, especially since uh, when I was growing up and when I got into film, uh, I watching the films like The Godfather, for example. Annie Hall, Take It or Leave It, it's one of my favorite films of all time. Um, so just, you know, as an, as an admirer of her work, it's really interesting, again, just to step into her experience for a little bit. And again, humor. So, so funny. Let's just say it wasn't pretty by Diane Keaton. The third book in memoir is a book that I probably talk about too much, but it is a book that I read every single year. I've read it five times in the last five years. I read it every year. I find new things about it every year that I love. Um, that is Me Talk Pretty One Day by David Sedaris. It is, oh my gosh, I don't like making, you know, top 10 book lists or something like that because everything's constantly evolving and your mood changes and your, your intellect changes and all of those things. So I don't want to say that it's like in the top three of my favorite books ever, but my reading patterns say it's, that's one of my, it's one of my favorite books ever. So me talk pretty one day uh, is so funny and I sort of had a revitalization with it because I ended up moving to Germany in 2019 and I was living in Berlin and I was having all these amazing experiences. I was basically only speaking English to do this podcast, you guys. That's how dedicated I am. I just was not... I was not into the English at that time. I wanted to learn German. I wanted to be serious about it. So... Um, 
just going through that experience has given me so much to reflect on. And then when I read Me Talk Pretty one day, it's not only funny and it's not only something that is just amazing um, in terms of David Sedaris telling his experience and his unique and very whimsical voice, but uh, I have something to lend to it myself and I recognize a lot of my experience in the book and I, I recognize the, especially the language classroom stuff, not only teaching language classes myself now, but also having been a student at one time in those kinds of classes um, and just sort of reliving my own experience along with uh, Mr. Sedaris. So, Me Talk Pretty One Day by David Sedaris. I would highly recommend it. Again, I read it every year. It's one of the very, very few books that I read consistently every year. Um, so I would highly, highly recommend. Second category, new releases. This one's a popular one for the podcast. Uh, we read a lot of new releases on this podcast. Less recently, just because we were getting into Infinite Jest. <laughs> I was like, what did we do? Yeah, we, we did Infinite Jest this year. Uh, we'll get more into new releases in 2021. I'm really interested to see how the pandemic is going to shape literature, especially in the more recent future. I know there have already been books published about pandemic-like stuff where it's realistic fiction, but with face masks and with the fear that we're they're facing and the economic trauma that we're facing. So that's very interesting to me. We will be going over a couple probably books that are released in 2021 with those kinds of themes. But also, of course, I don't want to make you guys uncomfortable or thinking about 2021 too, too much. So we'll also do just fun contemporary literature like we always do. The first book on this list is Normal People by Sally Rooney. I read the audiobook version of this book, and I read it before it was popular, okay? So uh, it is a new release. It is very, very popular right now. They just made a series, uh, I believe, a Hulu series um, on it, and it's about these two characters, these fi fictional characters in Ireland who fall in and out of love. And they have a very dynamic and a very explosive and a very interesting relationship. And I love books that are centered just around a relationship like this one. It's a quick read. It took me a day. <laughs> so um, I was listening to it. So I would recommend it just for one of those palate cleanser kind of books. Or if you really like romance, if you really like books about relationships, books that make you think about love and what love is and what love means. Um, all of those things would be a reason to read Normal People by Sally Rooney. Second up in new releases, Blue Ticket by Sophie McIntosh. I really enjoyed this book, first of all. It was, it could have been under one of our later categories because it really surprised me in how much I enjoyed it but I decided to read it because I love female-focused dystopian novels. We've gone over quite a few on this channel. Vox by Christina Dowker is like definitely a sister novel to this book. Um, Blue Ticket is very imaginative. It's a dystopia or a dystopian society where every young girl picks a ticket, blue or white, and you get a white ticket, you become a mother. You get a blue ticket, you become a worker, and you get to pursue a career. 
that you can't ever have children. And so it's about this character who gets a blue ticket and about the ramifications of that and about um, what it means poetically for someone who has a blue ticket and then gets pregnant. Um, and so, and, and very literally also, there's, there's a huge poetic aspect of the book, but it's very literal and a very serious book um, in some ways as well. We did an episode on this, fully fleshing out that book. It's one of our most popular episodes on the podcast, actually. So Blue Ticket by Sophie McIntosh, that's all linked below. The last book in our new releases category is Midnight Sun by Stephanie Meyer. I might get some flack for this, I don't know. <laughs> There's sort of this, this feeling in the lit, lit community that, oh, well, if you're serious about literature, you can't like books like Twilight, or you can't read YA. And again, I don't take Twilight necessarily seriously as a piece of literature or a piece of fine literature for that matter. I like Twilight because I grew up with it and because I find the themes in it really interesting and I find a lot of the characters to be really interesting. So with each new addition to the series, you learn a lot about the characters and their motivations and it's just a good study and a good fun thing <laughs> to read. And so for me, I don't necessarily, again, take it super seriously, like, oh my gosh, I gotta analyze everything in Twilight. Some people do, and that's awesome, but I use it just as a fun book to read, something that makes me a little bit nostalgic, something that reminds me of my childhood and my upbringing as someone who loved to read as a child. Um, but Midnight Sun is just such a great book. I enjoyed it so much. Uh, it's on my list to read again this year. Just because it is 650 pages, but I read it within two days and I would really love to take three or four days and read it again and just sort of understand the inner workings of Edward Cullen a little bit more. This is the original Twilight book, just called Twilight by Stephanie Meyer, but it's re rewritten from Edward Cullen, the vampire's perspective. We did two episodes on this. I interviewed my good friend Jenny Peterson. We talked about Twilight. We got some sparkling water and just sat down and some tea um, and talked about and reminisced about the movies and the books. And we had some questions and things um, of that nature about Midnight Sun. And I also did a more personal episode where I sat down and looked at Midnight Sun myself. I was a bit more analytic. Uh, I have to admit in this episode, I was looking at things like the male gaze, which is really um, a huge topic for me, especially as an adult woman reading Twilight nowadays um, and an academic at that. So uh, if you want any of those things, they will be linked below Midnight Sun by Stephanie Meyer. The next category is something that I would really like if I was a viewer of this podcast. I don't know how many of you are sort of like stranger unusual or like dark reading picks. I do. Um, I don't talk about them that much on the channel just because I know it's sort of a more niche category of book choices. Um, I am in a mortality book club. I made an episode about being in a mortality book club that honestly I really need to remake, so I don't know if I should link it. I guess I will. Um, I made it at a train station in Quebec of all places, and so the audio really isn't very good. But yeah, I'm in a mortality book club. We read all kinds of stuff from poetry to nonfiction to accounts by doctors, etc. 
We read Being Mortal by Atul Gawande earlier this year. It is fantastic. It's a book a lot about geriatrics, but also about Gawande's experience taking care of his father as he was ill um, and going into hospice and needing care for the elderly and care for the dying. And so it's just so, it's a piece of literature, but it's written by a doctor. And it's very confounding to me how Atul Gawande is such a good writer, even though he's an amazing physician and teacher as well. And it's one of those things where I'm so thankful and so glad that Gawande took his talent to the presses and he was able to create this amazing body of literature. I'm going to read The Checklist Manifesto next. That is my next Gawande book that I am searching up. I listen to a podcast called No Stupid Questions. It's amazing. I highly recommend it. It's just an additive for this episode, but I'll link it below. Um, they talk a little bit about Atul Gawande in one of their recent episodes. Next up in this category, which I'm calling Dark Lit Picks, that's really hard to pronounce, say that three times fast, is The End of Your Life Book Club by Will Schwalbe. I am obsessed with this book. I really love this book. Um, I have had a lot of experiences with death and the dying in my life, uh, even though I'm quite young. I have just, that is just the way the cards have fallen for me. And so it's about this, this man, Will Schwalbe, the author himself, who sat down with his mother and read a book every week with his mother for two years or something like this. And um, he had a book club with his mother as she was dying of cancer. And it was so, another book that was poignantly written. It's a beautiful story, but it's also very poetic. And um, he talks about so many books and it's a book for people who love books. And uh, I think that's, that's one dimension that this book spoke to me is it's a book um, by another book murd, <laughs> by another bibliophile. Um, and you don't get many books that are so self-obsessed about books. I will say that. It's very meta in that way, but he talks about so many just heavy hitters of literature where he is talking about his thoughts and his mother's thoughts and things that he's taken from a blog that they had and all of that. Um, he pulls in later diary entries and emails and things of that nature. And so it's not only a book that is very self-aware uh, that it's a book and book that it's that's self-aware in the sense of it's a bibliophile and a person who's obsessed with books. I had this feeling about Kaddish by a man named Weaseltier as the author. Um, it's just, it's a very academic book in that sense, but it's also a book that's a tribute to his mother and to Schwalbe's mother. Um, and so she did end up dying of cancer and it was much later, um, thankfully for him, that they had time you know, to prepare and to to enjoy these books together. But I think that's the other dimension that this book spoke to me is that it was such a beautiful love story and a beautiful love letter to his mother. And it was written really in celebration of her, a lot of her life and um, the time that they spent together at the end of her life. The End of Your Life Book Club by Will Schwalbe. The next category, of course, no surprise, is literary fiction. The first book is The Road by Cormac McCarthy. I've had a long and twisted and difficult relationship with Cormac. 
uh, for my whole existence as a bibliophile. I really wasn't into books that much uh, in, my, in my young adult life until I was about 15 probably. Um, I've talked about that story in other episodes at length, but Cormac McCarthy, I read All the Pretty Horses, is that what it's called? Yes, All the Pretty Horses, when I was a senior in high school. And I detest that book. I, I just will openly, I don't want to really like shame that book or something like that. Um, the reason why I don't like it is because, number one, it is, the, the style doesn't appear to me, appeal to me. The style is half dialogue, half short McCarthyan description. And I know that this is part of a series that he, that he wrote a trilogy, I believe, but growing up in the Southwest, this is the kind of book you learn to detest. At least I did, because it's very quintessentially Southwest. Um, I know I might get a lot of flack for this, so I apologize to people who liked this book, but, but it's the kind of book that is so quintessentially Southwestern, and it's all about horses and the desert and knife fights and and jail and heat and sand and dust and uh, buttermilk the drink and uh, it's just it didn't appeal to me because I had grown up in it it was nothing special to me in, in that sense and so when I read it in high school I was frustrated because I thought wow there's so many things that we could be using this time for and reading about something that we already know very intimately um, which is the Southwest. So maybe I'll come back to the book and like it more when I am older, but at this point, uh, I'm not uh, not on the all the pretty horses train. Apologies to my English teacher back then. But I did read eventually a book called Child of God, which McCarthy published in 1973. I wrote a podcast episode called Cormac and I. It's probably one of my favorite episodes still. It was my favorite number one episode for a long time. Um, it's a little bit dated now, but I loved Child of God. It was, it's, it's one of my favorite books. Um, I haven't reread it since I read it, but it's really short and it's a sympathetic account of a serial killer and a necrophiliac. And it messes with your mind, but it's so well done, and it's just, it's bare. Um, this is very, it has a very McCarthy-esque style, uh, which is very bare bones. It's like a third grade reading level or something like that, but it's very picturesque. It's amazing to me nowadays how much McCarthy can get out of a single sentence, even if it's a simple bare bones, like <laughs> first person sentence, you know, I walked. He can get so much out of such little description, and that's something that I am fascinated by today. This book, The Road, I also loved. It, I read it right at the beginning of the pandemic, as I was still recovering from my shock um, to the craziness that was happening and having to leave school all of a sudden and all of that craziness that happened earlier this year. And it spoke to my soul in a way, it was sort of like it was just the perfect time to read The Road. And it's a novel about a world that has just burned to a crisp. And it's these two wanderers, a father and a son, and they're going westward to the ocean. And so they're just walking through this desolate landscape of ash and wind and bitter cold. 
and trying to make it to hopefully a better future. Um, and that just, oh man, it, it spoke to me and it broke my heart at the same time. And it's a book that's so relevant to today. So if you have the heart for it, I would definitely recommend The Road by Cormac McCarthy. I should also mention that I did an episode on the road earlier in quarantine as well, so I'll link that below. As well as the episode that I wrote called Cormac and I about the child of God. Next up is a book that I've always wanted to get to, but just never have. I have no excuse. I just hadn't gotten to this book before this year. I read Beloved by Toni Morrison for the first time. It is so heart-wrenching, you guys, and it's so beautifully written, and it's just, it's incredible. It, I read Beloved recently. I'm finishing it again, just because I felt like I needed to finish it again. Um, and it is this sort of stream of consciousness style, very well known to Faulkner, for example. And Toni Morrison is just a wonderful floral writer and i mean floral in the sense that it's poetic and it's seamless and she has this seamlessness to her work that is just amazing and i am excited to read more of toni morrison's work in the future but beloved is a novel about slavery and about the experiences and the pain of people who break out of slavery and uh, indeed of people who are still in slavery and so a lot of it is stream of consciousness there's a, there's sort of a dark twist to the book when beloved shows up but um, that's the premise and it's very heavy it is a very heavy serious kind of book but it's a book well worth the time and well worth the investment just in terms of dealing with those kinds of themes and dealing with it in um, in a way that you're interacting with this beautiful art that Toni Morrison created. So that's Beloved by Toni Morrison. The next uh, piece is A Spool of Blue Thread by Ann Tyler. I can't stop recommending this book to people. It's literally maybe the best book that I've read all year. And I just haven't stopped thinking about it. I need to read it again ASAP. I know I do. It's just inevitable because it's about, it's a book about just ordinary people. And it's a book about ordinary lives and ordinary relationships and the problems they're in. But it's so well woven and it's so well told. And I cannot stop talking about Ann Tyler just because it's so good. I made an episode about Ann Tyler recently, so I'll link that below. Um, but A Spool of Blue Thread is this novel about a family. As I said, it's about generations of a family. So there's different parts to the book. And um, it's about you know the grandparents' generation, the children's generation, the parents' generation. Um, it takes you through. It's sort of a love story. Um, or a love letter to Baltimore as well, Baltimore, Maryland, which uh, Ann Tyler is a regionalist writer, so a lot of her books are sort of uh, well set in Baltimore. It is about the connections between people, and I think that was what I really took to in the book, because there aren't many authors who can articulate what someone means to someone else very well where the mother, especially the matriarch of this novel, matriarch of the family in this novel, um, when she ends up 
dying and when she ends up having issues, um, it the whole family falls apart because the connection that was the glue that was holding the family together was her. And so it's so interesting the different ways in which the characters interact and the ways in which they love each other and fail to love each other um, and the ways in which they support each other and also fail to support each other during all of these very ordinary scenarios in a very extraordinary book. That is A Spool of Blue Thread by Ann Tyler. The last category is a surprise miscellaneous category. <laughs> I'm just humoring myself at this point, but the first novel on this list is The Garden of Eden by Ernest Hemingway. <laughs> this novel is crazy. I can't believe it. Um, this novel, The Garden of Eden, is, wow, it is um, so surprising because you think, okay, you pick it up, you go, okay, oh, it's, you know, Hemingway's posthumous novel. Great. And, and then you, you start reading it and you understand, oh, actually, this is very strange for a Hemingway novel. It's written in, a lot of it is written in that characteristic Hemingway style, very sparse, sort of like Cormac McCarthy, but in his own way, a little more formalist um, in style than Cormac McCarthy, for example. But it's surprising because it takes on themes of gender fluidity and feminism and just uh, it's very it's packed with these complex social themes that seem very 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 modern for someone writing in Hemingway's period but yet it's it's mixed in with this very characteristic style that Hemingway has which is very direct in a lot of ways and the style that you would recognize from The Sun Also Rises which is an amazing book but there's like bullfighting and very masculine themes or The Old Man and the Sea, same thing. It's about a guy catching a fish and it's a big metaphor allegory <laughs> um, and then you get this this novel that has a lot of very upset social themes in it, and it's about character, and it's about, again, an, another book about a relationship, sort of like Save Me the Waltz by Zelda Fitzgerald. It has that kind of strangeness to it um, that's really hard to articulate, actually, um, but it just knocked me out of the water, and I didn't enjoy the book, per se, but I enjoyed the surprise that the book gave me, which is all of these social themes and this reliance on character and this reliance on relationships um, and, and this man's reliance on women um, in this characteristic Hemingway style. I talk a lot about the revisions of this book as well as posthumous works in um, an episode called Posthumism. Um, I will link that below. The next book in this category is called Bad Girl by Mario Vargas Llosa. Um, Bad Girl, it's a book about a translator who finds and falls in love with uh, this particular woman in different stages of his life. So when he's a very young man, like in secondary school, then when he's going to school as a translator, and then again when he's uh, well in his career as a translator, then again when he's um, a middle-aged person, then again when he's very old. And he runs into this woman who has managed to craft different identities for herself each time they run into each other. And he knows distinctively that it's her, um, that it's the bad girl, but uh, he also realizes that she has different names, different personas that she's adopted each time. And it's wildly interesting, not only as a character study of 
of this young woman, but also of this man and how he he's so disciplined and regimented. And yet there's this um, unpredictability about his love life and his inability to settle for anyone else and her inability to settle for him. And so even though they have this passionate lifelong affair, it's never really settled. And so it's it's very dynamic. It's a very interesting no novel. I also did an episode on this novel and I talked a little bit more about um, Vargas Llosa, um, who's a Nobel Prize winner. And this book was recommended to me by one of my English students, by one of my ESL students. Um, and I was so grateful for the recommendation because I don't get to dip my toes into a lot of Latin literature a lot of the time. And I'm so grateful that I did. Bad Girl by Mario Vargas Llosa. Dreamfall by Amy Plum. Plume. I'm gonna say Plume, okay? I haven't decided yet which <laughs> which one is right, but Dreamfall, Amy Plume. I was really surprised by this novel. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that I didn't get to talk about in the episode that I published on it on the main channel that I did get to talk about on Patreon. Um, I probably cut out half of my discussion about this novel um, just because it has a lot of sensitive issues like race for example and I want to reserve those kinds of conversations for Patreon um, just for everyone's privacy in terms of our discussion on there. Um, Dreamfall is a very modern young adult novel. It is fascinating the way that Plume um, creates this story and it's a super easy book you get through it in a night but it's a book where there's just such an interesting story and the premise is semi non-fictional and there's just so much in there with the characters and um, their specific problems with sleeping and dreaming um, it's a little bit of a has a little bit of a horror twist on it there's a lot of very real themes this book um, needs a, a soft trigger warning probably just because it does deal with very serious themes um, for a young adult novel but I was so surprised by it because it was such a fun novel for me to read. I don't really read that much I YA. You guys know me, I'm a literary fiction kind of gal um, but it was just surprising which is why it was in this category. And the last book of the day today in the surprise category uh, is uh, Outside the Gates by Molly Gloss. I love this novel. <laughs> it has a little bit of a fantasy twist to it, um, which is weird and interesting to me. The last fantasy I probably read was the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I was doing the first time I did this book a week book challenge. I decided to go through and read all of the classic novels that I hadn't read in school. So I read The Jungle by Upton Sinclair and Catch-22 by Heller. Um, I read White Noise and a lot of Kurt Vonnegut and I read Lord of the Rings, for example. So it was amazing and it was so fun and so diverse and the kinds of books that I was getting. But Outside the Gates, Molly Gloss also gets this very sparse, very unusual um, kind of uh, style to her writing. And so it's, it's so much description and not very few words. This is a technique that you guys can, can tell from this episode I'm very interested in. Uh, because my style, myself, and my personal work is very flowery, very like Nathaniel Hawthorne, um, very, very Dickensian, for example. 
um, and you have to really look for the point of the sentence, but this, this very bare style that gives you so much within, within the world of the novel, um, it's fascinating to me. And so this novel is a short one, it's 200 pages in length. I got through it very slowly because I was so immersed. It's such an immersive novel and it's so creative. Another um, dystopian fiction book, I believe she published this in the 80s. Um, so similar time period to The Handmaid's Tale, for example. Um, and it's just amazing. It's about this society, like this high society, uh, who kicks out um, a young boy who can talk to animals. And he has this amazing gift, but he lives in this outcast society um, that is very ashamed of their gifts and of their promise. I also did an episode on this book, Outside the Gates by Molly Gloss, so look out for that. Alright, so that is all for this episode. Again, all of the books that we talked about, I just have a list of them and all the episodes that we've covered on them. If there are any, will be in the description, also at relevanceofliterature.com notes. Don't forget to sign up and become a patron if you really love the discourse that we're able to create and foster on this channel. It would mean a lot to me, but also it would mean the world to be able to donate significantly to the Mira Foundation. Uh, patron spots start at $2 a month, and so it's a great time of year to sign up your family or sign up your friends if they think uh, they would get value from the content that we create on Patreon. There's a Patreon-only book club, podcast, live stream. There's a lot on there for you guys. So thank you so much, and I will see you next week. If you enjoyed the discussion and would like to hear more from us, there's a show and a series for everyone, so I'd recommend checking out our website, relevanceofliterature.com, under the ongoing series tab for links to our entire back catalog of episodes. We also have a couple of open surveys that you can find through the links in the description, so if you have three minutes while you're waiting in line somewhere, we would very much appreciate your feedback on our show. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode, and we'll see you next time.